Welcome back. Welcome into Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com. I am Mike Casazzo. Strange edition today, Chris Anderson. Things that don't want to talk about, but nevertheless do have to talk about. Um, it's a very interactive, intimidating world. I don't know. Just strange and sad. It's unfortunate. And then uh, what? what's the worst part about this? Is that for something as serious as death threats and the allegations of death threats, context is still important. And I don't mean that in the sense of like you can't make death threats, but I mean that in the sense of like sometimes you have to be careful separating and sorting out what's actually involved because what we have here, and you can explain this better than I can, is some confusion that apparently has affected somebody. Um, in a conversation about death threats and because the word death threat has been used, the words death threat has been used in proximity of this individual. All of a sudden he is the one who has made the death threats and that might not be the case. And the whole thing kind of makes me like confused and, and nauseous too. This is a bad thing in 2021. It's a bad thing in, in 1921. Don't get me wrong, but it just seems like it's more and more prevalent now because of access and social mm-hmm. media. But this is a strange episode here. Can you elaborate? Yeah, as I say, it's a lot more fun to do these mailbags when we're talking about, you know, my diet, Dr. Peppers, and your man bun and stuff. But uh, every once in a while, we got to get into the serious talk here. And uh, for those that aren't familiar, you know, a couple of the basketball players had tweeted that they had received death threats after the game, uh, the loss against Syracuse over the weekend. And there was one in particular where Emmett Matthews had quote tweeted which for those unfamiliar with twitter means you know he he put his response and on his on his tweet on his post it included the tweet of another user um and that was a west virginia fan and in it matthew says there's a difference between criticism and telling me to kill myself and that person the person that that emmett matthews quoted has come to the board to defend himself, our message board, because he's saying he was that person. And what he said was something to along the lines of players need to accept criticism. And Matthews, given Matthews response, that makes perfect sense. You know, Hey, you need to accept criticism. And then Matthew's saying there's a difference between criticism and telling me to kill myself. Uh, that person then said that he was attacked by other fans on, on social media. So he deleted the tweet. I uh, thought it was a bad idea, deleted the tweet. But then the fact that he deleted the tweet meant no one saw that he didn't make the death threat. So then people assumed he made the death threat. And then there were other people using that to out that person, posting all his public information, where he works, calling his employer, and everyone loses. Everyone's an a hole in that situation. Let's that's, take a thirty. Let's take a thirty here. Yeah, <laughs> like this is a lot, lot to unwrap here, and it's it's very important because this individual has a job, a, a, a reputable, important position, where you do not want someone lobbing death threats at people. But Correct. by all indications, this person was not lobbing death threats at people, and all of a sudden, because a player quote tweets him saying. Sure, I, I should take criticism, but there's a difference between criticizing me and telling me to kill myself. That means to so many onlookers in this drive-by social media world that that individual has told Emmett Matthews to harm himself. 
which is not what happened. And because, because people see and then just fire with their emotions and they don't think because that's what this micro media has done. Micro blogging means micro attention. All of a sudden, that individual with the important job where you do not want people lobbing death threats at others, that is the person who was lobbed a death or not a lobbed a death threat, but has told Emmett Matthews to harm himself, to kill himself, right? Which isn't what happened, but no one cares because there is no context. And here's the weird part. He's deleted it. He has no proof. Right. Yep. Now, there are screenshots from what I understand. So if his bosses do come in and say, what the heck? He could say, listen, that didn't happen. Like, here's my story. And they say, I don't believe you. you're fired. Well, he can probably produce that somehow or another, which is, I hope, I hope what happens. I hope there's some sort of a clarity in the conversation here, not just a reaction, because that would be taking the problem and compounding the problem here. There, there is, there is a, 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 an ugly cancerous caustic nature here to this whole conversation between players and fans that has to be solved. But uh, firing this guy, if this is all true on a level because of, a miscommunication or a sort of confusion here would be again making the problem part of the problem here. I don't know how they're going to fix that. I hope it works out well, but um, it also leads to a bigger conversation here too. It would appear that for some time, according to Taz Sherman, he had been receiving death threats during the regular season. If if I have his understanding of things correctly, um, and then obviously Sam Matthews too. I'm sure it's not limited to just those two players. Derek Culver is threatening to knock the Sonic rings out of people. On Instagram. Is, okay, sorry. Sorry to laugh during Let's such a serious conversation, but that yeah. is awesome. That's yeah. a great thing to say. I, I mean, I don't like threatening violence on people, but that that that's really going to hit home with some with people in their, uh, let's say, uh, upper thirties. Uh, that's really going to hit home with with, with some people. Has a pretty good comment. I like it. Not onion rings. No. From Sonic. Yeah. Um. So it, it's we just have this bad thing now, and, and obviously what happened to EJ Liddell at Ohio State, um, kudos to him for for what he did. I don't think a lot of people want to admit that. Like athletes are these big, steely, impressive, under pressure individuals. They're kids. They're humans. They're not yet adults. They are adults. Either way, they don't deserve this because of a basketball game. Um, this has been going for a long, long time, but it's just become more and more ugly and more and more. Like I said, intense and intimate because of how connected everybody is in social media. I think gambling has made it worse. Um, yes. I think that's given people a license to actually feel like the players literally owe them something now. Um, players don't owe you anything. Um, and then as the NIL thing has taken root and appears poised to take off, I don't think that student athletes are quite seen as the you know volunteer hours. You know, They're not just signing up for an education and room and board, which people think is enough, um, they're actually going to be getting paid for this now too, which honestly couldn't be further from reality because not everybody's going to make a lot of money and almost no one's going to make any money on this. So it's spiraling here, and I don't know what to do. I have, I, I wish, I mean, don't tweet kids or athletes would probably be a good one here, but yeah. there, there's there's a burden on the student athletes and the schools too. Uh, a far Far, 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 I can't stress that enough, a far less burden on the coaches and the players and the the universities here, but there needs to be some sort of training in there too. Um, I hate this. Uh, I don't like social media. I would not be on there if, if we didn't have to for our jobs. Um, and, and it's stuff like this is why it brings out the worst in people because there is some distance and anonymity in there that people think they can say and do what they want, even if <laughs> they're... 
their their Twitter profile, their Instagram profile has their picture and their location, and sometimes their job in there too. It's a crazy, crazy intersection of reality and 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 uh, almost like an online alias or persona. Yeah, uh, three things I'm I'm thinking here that that the the first two are should be steadfast rules. Of uh, like without question, there is no there is no other way around it. One, absolutely, never, ever, 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 death threats, ever, none, period. And 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 if there are death threats, that should be something that if if there is somebody that's making a death threat to a player, that person should be banned from all future athletic events, all future events for life. And let the the local law enforcement handle the rest because that is a prosecutable offense, which leads me to my second point. For the people out there who are playing internet police, internet sleuth, stop it. Absolutely. Um, We saw that with the uh, Boston bomber where, you know, a bunch of people started looking at pictures on Reddit or whatever and then had some the wrong people accused of, of killing people. And and now we got people that are doing their own quote unquote homework and just putting out other people's information with absolutely no clue what's going on. Don't do that either. Let the local law enforcement let the university handle it because well we haven't we don't know yet but I'll say this just say it beforehand the university and local law enforcement should be doing something about this. If these are credible threats or not even credible, like they don't even have to be credible. If they were actual threats that were made, something needs to be done. Let the people handle it that should be handling it. Internet sleuths, just let, 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 let the professionals handle it. Um, And then to your point about the training for players. um, Absolutely. Cause this is not something that's going to stop. Like the better the better you get, the the more you play, the more it is. I mean, the, the NBA guys they get it too. You know, professional athletes get it all the time, everywhere. It's nonstop, so it's not going to stop when you get out of college. So you need to be prepared for this. Everybody needs to be prepared for this, not just athletes. I mean, cyberbullying is a thing that that is causing issues all over the place. Like you said, if it weren't for our jobs, I wouldn't be on. I would not be on Twitter at all. I I, I would be back to. Facebook and just posting a few pictures of my kids and that's about it um, because they're just terrible people on the internet a lot of times, especially on social media. And, and, and the players need to know that too. Um, again, I'm, I'm with, I'm trying to channel, channel you here in that I cannot stress this enough that the burden is like 99% on the fans to shut the hell up and leave these kids alone. And, and the kids need to, but the, the, the student athletes and, the, and even past when they go professional athletes also need to not initiate some of this stuff. Cause again, th- there are some players who literally the game has ended and within five minutes have already searched their name on Twitter to try to pick fights with random fans that have one follower. And that's that's not helping matters. Please don't do that either. But again, that that's that is a small fraction compared to the crazy fans that are sending death threats and all this other stuff. I, I just wish, like you said, we, we need some some training. And it's not 
to say that it's the player's fault that this is happening. It is not their fault that they are being threatened. Um, but I think it's in the player's best interest for the schools and the coaches to train them on that. And, and I'm sure, I'm sure they are to a degree. There are conversations that happen with the teams about what to do for stuff like this. The problem is this has evolved past a conversation. This is almost like a course now that you have to take to how to, how to navigate these things and how to conduct yourself. Um, this is not the same. It's not different. The situation with Kerry Martin would have been 100% different had he not went to Twitter the way he did. Um, had there been some sort of a mechanism in place where a player has a grievance and knows because he was taught or she was taught or read in a handout or went to some online seminar that the school offered because they had a partnership with a person who's really good at these things. That person would know when A happens, I do B, C, and D. I go to this person, I make an appointment with this person, I send an email to this person because that's what I was told to do. All of a sudden, that conversation happens behind closed doors. It doesn't pop up in someone's lap on Twitter and then the world doesn't crumble beneath the football program for six weeks. If you apply the preventative measure there to what happens here, if you get death threats, email this person, call this person, set up an appointment with this person. Don't sit in your locker room and angrily retweet. Don't be on the bus when your season has ended or you've lost on a buzzer beater or you've lost for the fifth time in six games, whatever. Don't emotionally respond and do something I don't want to say irresponsible because I think an individual is in control of the reactions to attacks on him or herself. But there are smarter and better ways to do these things that they should do. And when you're telling these kids, hey, you can use Twitter to market yourself now, go out there and create your brand and enhance your brand and push your brand. Um, you, you really have to tell them how to conduct themselves across that entire spectrum. It's not just the good things. When you have a chance to do something to really lift yourself and elevate yourself and promote yourself, you also have a chance to react, to cause some damage, to handle things in a way that could have us leading off a Q&A podcast for 15 minutes talking about what a mess this is in general, not specifically, but just in general. Um, I really think they owe it to the students to, to say we have this unchecked social media we have to check it somehow. I don't know. Again, it, it's not a conversation that you have in the beginning of the season. It's a course to me. I think you have to do. There's some sort of a training in there you have to do because there are right ways to do this. And and number one, number two, the kids shouldn't have to deal with it. When something happens, it should go to someone else who gets paid a lot of money to be in charge of stuff and to have answers for people who are 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. They have no idea how to deal with this. What do you do if you get a death ready for 41? Never mind 18. I don't want to deal with that. I wouldn't want my, my 18-year-old kid or my favorite 18-year-old shooting guard. I wouldn't want that person to deal with it. I want someone else to deal with it. They shouldn't have to. Um, and I don't know if that means that they're getting these things in such abundance without, some, without any help that maybe they're trying to get some sort of a light turned on this subconsciously. Like, hey, we have to do this because we're not getting you know, the protection, the help, the assistance we need or want. It's not there. It doesn't exist. I don't know. But if it was there, this wouldn't be happening. And I, I just think that from July to now, there's a gap there that hasn't been filled. And if I'm wrong, I'm sure I'll hear about it. But I just think that there, there's, there is a lack of some sort of a training in there, an awareness and education that is not going to prevent this, but it's going to clean up some of the responses. Oh, yeah. If you're wrong, you'll hear about it, Mike. I promise. 
I promise. Like, <laughs> uh, uh, but if I'm wrong, it's not right though because something is still misfiring there. Right. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to add here because you're right. I, I think again, we're we're talking in general here. We're not saying that that what Emmett did there was wrong. I mean, all he did was say, you know, no, right. hey, uh, you know, I, all he said was, I. I'm, I, criticism is one thing, death threats are another. That's all he said. That's there's nothing wrong with that. That's not you know, uh, instigating fights or anything like that. Um, I mean, yeah, me personally, the the best answer is don't tweet, don't tweet yeah. at all. Don't respond. Don't even do it. But I mean, what he said is is nothing. That's nothing. That's, he should not. He did nothing wrong there. And you didn't say that. I'm not saying you said that. I'm not saying that either. We're talking in general here. Um, that because of the way things are going, the way things are on social media, that these players, that all student athletes, hell, you might even have to say like every student at this point, every kid, every person needs to go through this kind of training of how to handle the situation. And if something goes wrong, like you said, there are people that get paid a lot of money. They get a lot of taxpayer dollars to handle this kind of stuff. They need to handle it. Don't put that burden on a, on a 19-year-old kid. Because it may sound like I I think I know a lot now, but I guarantee you, I was a damn moron when I was 19 years old. I thought I knew a lot, and I really didn't, and I couldn't handle a lot of situations, and I imagine most 19-year-olds were the same way. So don't put this burden on those kids. Don't put this burden on them. Somebody needs to help them. Somebody needs to handle it. And it's not the Internet sleuthing police. Just, there's a way to do it, and I hope they do, and I, and I think they should. And it's just it's more than a conversation. It's not it's not a course like a semester long course, but like these student athletes have, they have like all these preseason rule awareness things they have to go through. Whatever, there's a way to fit in an afternoon to do like a just a course where you train these kids how to do it. I don't mean like a, a three hour semester long where you get credits. It's not what I'm saying. There, but there is a there, there is a module. There's uh, uh, self-guided learning, whatever. There's something that you can actually teach these kids to do. Just throw it on their iPad, have them sit in a room and watch a video for an hour one day and have someone come in and just say, hey, I'm the person that you get in touch with. If something happens, if you're getting a death threat, if someone's talking about shading points, uh, there's so many things that the kids have to deal with now that are just resultant of social media that they they don't need to be dealing with this. And if they are dealing with it, then, then who knows what happens? Maybe someone does knock the sonic rings out of somebody. Maybe someone does take up an offer to shave a couple points. Like it's 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 so broad. It's not just death threats. Um, you know, you can there there could be physical interactions. There can be if I see you sometime, well, guess what? You might see that person sometime. There can be wait a minute, I can make seven thousand dollars just by missing a couple of free throws. Like that's that's bold and brash. I understand it, but like it's there. And just you have a chance to corral it and to control it, just to teach people like what what the better way to do it is where they don't have to deal with it. And, that's next to me. I think that has to be next. So I was, as we were talking here, I was like, I remember this vaguely of college, some college coaches, a college football coach and a staff who would create fake social media accounts and would act like, you know, an attractive co-ed or some seedy gambler or something like that and would message the players to see how they respond or use it to, you know, track players or see what they're doing. And so I just typed, started typing into Google, typed in college coach, fake social media account player. Okay. I couldn't think of what to look up. I couldn't remember what to look up. 
I, my memory is not that far gone. There was somebody. Would you like to take a guess who that was? Big Big 12, former Big 12 coach. What sport? Football. Was it Kingsbury? It was Cliff Kingsbury. I thought so. Okay. Said he and his staff uh, create fake social media accounts to monitor their players and to, you know, to kind of see what they're doing. It didn't say anything about them, you know, initiating and, and putting the, the players in situations to see how they react, but kind of to help follow and monitor them as far as like partying and, and those kind of things. I can't see Bob Huggins going that deep. Um, and I think I think his his education there is like hard knocks, like deal with it, um, do your own person, so on and so forth. I would imagine that Neil Brown is, is far more into the details about controlling those things. But I just think it has to be universal. There's got to be a way to do it where all these kids have the same chance. And rant. Yeah. Are we ready to move on to the rest of the mailbag? Let's do it. Your questions, our answers. We'll get through as many as we can here. We'll try to go small bites and answers here. Um, and then Chris will follow up, expand on some of these, and then sweep up with some of the ones that we don't get to. But um, subscribers ask, we answer. And this will be heavy on basketball because we're wrapping up basketball, but also a little bit of football because we get into football allegedly tomorrow. Allegedly. Uh, we'll see. Um, let's kick it off with the first question that was posted. It's from E. Bragg. How many days will Huggins let pass to allow the emotions from the game to pass before he has end of season meeting with the individual players to either encourage the comeback or politely let them know it'd be in their best interest to move on? Mike? It's a thing. They'll do that. I mean, it's. I don't know when exactly it is. I don't know if there's a set period of time. It, my, my hunch is that that some time will pass just because, and especially right now, because it's emotional, not just because of the, the social media stuff, but everybody thought they'd be playing right now. They really did. And I think you got to make sure everybody makes a smart decision, but certainly they have, they have um, end of the season meetings, exit meetings, whatever you want to call it, where, and this is the reality of college basketball where Huggins will sit down and say, um, Hey, we need you back, but you got to do this, 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 and this. And you know, here's what we want you to look like. And here's what you got to do between now and whenever. And then in other seasons, I'm not sure there's many this year, but there might be, where he says, listen, you're not going to be above what you were this year. If you were like a, a – you played 16 games and you only played 48 minutes, listen, you're probably going to be like that again next year. Um, and then there's times where a player says you – know, it's a conversation. It's not just a, a, a one-sided deal with Huggins. It's, it's heavily one-sided because he's the boss. But a player might say, listen, you know, I was here. I was 16 games, 48 minutes. I want to get on the floor more. I want to be a guy who's in the rotation. And Huggins may say, listen, it's just not going to happen for you here. You might be better off thinking about going somewhere else. It's real. That happens. Um, and then from this, you're going to have the different ones of, should you come back? Can I come back? Will you come back for your second senior season? Should you be going pro or should you come back for your junior season or your senior season? And then, hey, you graduate. Do you want to spend your final season here or do you want to spend your final season somewhere else? Hey, you graduate. Do we want you to spend your final season here? Do we want you to spend your final season somewhere else? Um, those happen. Those conversations are real. I don't know when they'll happen. Uh, I would say sooner than later, but I don't think it's immediate. Yeah, usually it's uh, – I don't, I don't know what Huggins' plan is, but my, my experience has been that the – you know, like come back from from Indianapolis. Uh, they meet the next morning as a team, like in the locker room. Like, hey, everybody, grab your stuff. Here's what the schedule is going to be like for the next, you know, month. Like the next couple weeks, go focus on school, focus on yourself, relax. 
uh, and then we'll meet back up in a couple of weeks to have exit interviews, which is what you're talking about there. The, the, the conversations, the one-on-ones with the coaching staff about where they were this season, what happened, what's to be expected next year, what they can work on. And then, you know, have those uncomfortable kind of conversations potentially, but it also kind of depends on the player. I mean, the players have a little more um, power now than they did before because of the transfer portal portal. And we saw it last year. I mean, was, Brandon Napper was in the transfer portal like 48 hours after the season was called off, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's, it's, if, if a player is already set in his mind that he is leaving, uh, you know, he, he'll, he'll, just go to Huggins and be like, hey, you know, and it might, it's, I doubt it's going to be a surprise to Huggins or anybody else on the staff if that conversation has. They, they're aware of what's going on inside their program. So I think it'll be, you know, kind of that. And if you, if you see somebody, if you, what I'm saying is if you see somebody pop up in the transfer portal in the next couple of days, in the next week, that's been on their mind for a while. It, it, I don't think they would, I don't want to say allow a guy, but they, to do it, but it, nobody's going to jump in the portal within the next few days because of the emotions of what just happened in Indianapolis. If they're leaving in the next few days, it's because that that was their plan for for some time now. Yep. And yeah, like I said, usually it's 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 a couple weeks after when they have those true exit interviews with everybody to talk about it. Football is usually a little quicker just because the end of spring football kind of butts up with towards the end of the semester, so they they got to have a little quicker turnaround. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, um, I was thinking back a couple years when Harris and Henderson left. Harris was not a surprise. Henderson was a stunner. But to the point that Huggins got on a plane and flew to, where is he from, Carolina? Mm-hmm. He flew to his, his dad's house and so said, like, what the heck? He didn't know, um, and that was that was May, I believe. So it can be it can be quite some time, but that was six seven. That was two thousand. That was seven years ago. Seven, right? Yeah, two thousand. Yeah, gone. Has it been that long? Yeah, seven years ago. Um, and the portal is so different now, and the player movement is so different now, and like it, it does seem like you're going to get that at least right now temporarily that one time waiver. Like it, it's going to have to happen fast because if you're not in the portal soon someone may get your spot. So if you're, if you're a guy who thinks he can get into a program and have a chance to go deep in March or play closer to home or get the PT that you don't get here, you really want to expedite your decision. So there, there is something to be said that what's, what's past is not what's present right now because it's so different. So you might see some activity fast. And then, you know, for players who are postgraduate players or, or GoPro players, they've absolutely been thinking about this. They have. So I'm, those decisions may not take that long either. So I, would, I wouldn't be shocked if, if we saw... I don't want to say a Brandon Apper, but something like that, that it's within a couple of days and inside of a couple of weeks. Uh, moving on to the next question. This will probably be a quick one because this may shock some of you, but I have no thoughts or insight on this one. We'll leave it all to Mike. Um, from 8389 grad, was Culver healthy for the tournament? More specifically, did you see any indication that he was physically limited from performing at his best? I'm not around him. Like, they won't let us anywhere near him. In the past, you can go into the locker room and you can hang out for half an hour. 
and you can't do that. So I, I couldn't tell you. I would be using my eyeballs, which I say is always good, but by my eyes, he wasn't limping. He could pick his arms up over his head. He could bend over and tie his shoes. I saw him do all that stuff in pregame stretches. I thought that, that McBride was getting a lot of attention for his left leg, like knee up, um, which I don't think was the one he was getting iced at the end of one of the games. Um, I'm not sure, but like my point is that I, I couldn't tell you. I wasn't around him. You're, you're kept at such a distance this year, and he looked physically able to me. It looked like a guy who had played 29 games and took the beating that he did. Maybe he didn't have as much energy. I don't think he was still sick. Uh, I don't think he had bad ankles or hips or whatever like that, but I, I could not tell you with any certainty because, as with all people this year, just, just not around him, I can't tell you. A uh, couple questions from Yidio10 now. Um, to begin, will McBride and Culver test the draft waters? Yeah. Shouldn't they? I, every, everybody should. I mean, especially since they changed that rule that allows you to test it more than once. Um, I think anybody, any decent sophomore or junior should put their name in, see what happens, see what they say, I'd be, get, get I'd, feedback. I just It's to the point now, like, I'm trying to think of who it was a couple of years ago, but, like, it's a bigger story if you don't do it. In fact, right. it, was, uh, it was Juwan State, and he didn't even do it. That was a headline to me. Like, he didn't even test the waters. He said, I'm coming back. Uh, it's a bigger headline nowadays when you have a good player who doesn't test the waters. Um, also from Medio, was Hugs outcoached by Beheim? I hate this conversation, and I don't hate the question, because it's two of the best that have done it. And one person has to win and one person has to lose, and that doesn't mean someone had a better day. I'm not sure what Beheim did other than roll the 2-3 out and have guys who didn't foul out of the game and guys who made seven or six or seven threes and guys who made four threes. Is that coaching? To some extent, yeah. And then, like, I'm not sure what Huggins did apart from try some things to beat a 2-3, and maybe it didn't work out very well. So, listen, I can see that you can criticize putting, like, the, the high post for Culver, for example, which you highlighted. That maybe wasn't the best use for him or the best time to try that. Um you know, building an offense around Emmett Matthews in, in the second game of the tournament against a 2-3 is a, is a risky thing. I'm not, maybe not building out, but, like, he took 16 shots, and he was involved in a lot of, like, decision-making things. That's that's weird for me. I, I don't know. But, like, and again, did they switch to a point drop or a matchup that caused them to switch a lot where they didn't want switches? And maybe that was at a time where they're kind of mentally fatigued or physically fatigued because they played so hard. Perhaps, but... I kind of like committing mistakes rather than omitting decisions, if that makes sense, too. And I think they were trying things to make it work. So put in plans that just didn't work. Does that mean he got outcoached? He's not playing, so maybe. But, like, what did Bayheim do that was so especially brilliant apart from just playing Syracuse basketball? It's a very hard question for me to answer, but if I had to pick yes or no here, look, who's who's got a game on Friday and, and who doesn't? So I'm I'm pretty much on the same boat as you because my thought was, what did Bayheim coach? What did he do? He didn't do anything. He didn't change. He just said, go out there and do what we always do. And they did. And his son hit a bunch of shots. And he, like you said, they had two guys with four fouls and somehow didn't foul out in 12 minutes. Um, I don't know how much that has to do with coaching. So I don't think he outcoached Hugs. Uh, I think, uh, as you pointed out, and we've discussed, the, maybe Hugs out, outcoached himself. Kind of, you know, trying to trying to get too tricky with 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 putting Culver up there, with putting Matthew. Everybody, like you said, Matthews, sixteen shots, most shots he's taken all year. Ah, oh, what's Matthews doing? Matthews was doing what he was 
he was coached to do, what the scheme, what the plan was. Um, which, again, I think that was Huggins kind of outcoaching himself of, of, of thinking up a plan when I'm not sure he needed to deviate from the obvious, uh, which was Gabe up there or Taz. Um, and, and and he quickly changed that. So he, he outcoached himself for about 10 minutes, five minutes of the game. But I think giving Beheim a lot of the credit here for, you know, out dueling hugs in a game of wits or, you know, whatever. I just, uh, that, that's a little, little too much credit for old Bo over there. And I saw one of the talking head things that night or, or the, the morning after about, Hey, they got buddy Beheim going in the second half. He got 30 points in back-to-back games. Like he's going <laughs> to get going. Like, what do they do? Pass behind the ball. Yeah. Yeah. Great coaching. Yeah. Springfield, baby, do it. Like, I get, listen, I understand it. And, like, could they have had a better plan? Sure. Sure. It just wasn't there. I mean, but, and again, one and six against Bayheim, but that's a good coach, too. It's, it's hard. I don't know. Like, that's, it's a, it's a tough question to ask because I just think that even if he coached a poor game, his team was down by three with the ball with like two seconds left. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, switching to football, uh, pretty specific question here from S. Curry, WVU. Who do you think starts opposite Nick, Nick Troy Fortune on September 4th? And any news on Vincent O'Coley's status? Well, he's on the roster. It's all I can tell you. Uh, I've heard different things that maybe we'll get some light on. Not bad news, but like that maybe explains why he just wasn't around at all last year. Um, can't really, for whatever reason, I can't really go beyond that. Um, but I don't think there's a I'm not sure there's like a reason he didn't play outside of what they might have. Um, I, my guess would be Jackie Matthews, if you had to ask me, just because he's more experienced. I think he's maybe a better physical player for that position. Um, but if it was Porter, I wouldn't be shocked. And if it was, um, if it was O'Coley, because the talent just came through and a guy who's a four star and, and has like pro skill, if he all of a sudden had a great spring and summer, that'd be good. But, would you also put money on someone not in the roster? Hey, you you so stole my thunder. Bet, like, a, like, a, like a free DraftKings bet? Yeah, yeah. That's, that, that was where I was going. I was going to say, you know, the, the safe answer, I think, is Matthews. But if you give me something like, you know, eight, eight to one odds on it being someone that's not on the roster, I might sprinkle a few bucks on that. Because I, I don't think that's crazy at all. Uh, again, when you when you bring in a coach who, uh, like in, in Shadon Brown, who has all the connections that he does, has been everywhere that he's been, and coaches that position, don't be surprised if you know he's got he's got a relationship with a guy who's a graduate transfer that that might pop up in May, um, or or a guy that's got two or three years left that might pop up after spring ball. And is not happy with the situation wherever he's at. So, I, I would say that's something that's that's on on my back burner. There is that cornerback position, um, and somebody not on the roster starting on the uh, opposite side corner there. Because keep in mind, at at this point, heck, uh, in what was it June? I, I don't even think Tony Fields was even on the radar for West Virginia. Like I feel like it, it was late. He was a very late. Um, Addition and and that was connected to a die, uh, you know, who was at Arizona before. So these coaching connections, keep an eye on just random players they might have connections with from previous stops that that might come available in May. 
That sounds extremely informed. I have no idea what you're talking about, Mike. Just throwing stuff against the wall. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, another football. Spring football. And I don't know. Maybe this, maybe this will end it. I don't know how long we've been going, but um, this one's from Christian, Christian Shuck, 96. Other than Daggy, who else are you looking for in improvement in the spring? I don't think you see a lot of improvement in the spring. All right, let's end the podcast there. That's a good finish. <laughs> Strong finish. I just like because they've been in the weight room for six weeks or ten weeks or whatever it is, and not only that, but like in a in a good year, I don't I don't think the spring is when you see the improvement. You may see somebody at the end of fifteen practices where you say, "Hey, I like that. I like that more. I like him in August. I didn't like him in November. He's a guy now. He could be a guy later. Whatever." I think you you talk about improvement when you get to and through camp because they've had the summer to like be outside and pray, play in practice. Now you're just looking at guys who've added some weight, who maybe lost some of the the freshman fifteen, who are more mature physically, just because they've been to the offseason conditioning. Now at the end of fifteen practices, could you see somebody who has made the most of it? Yeah, I guess we're not going to see that though. And if we do, it's going to be like he can catch punts and he can catch snaps and he can kick field goals and he can punt. Good. Couldn't tell you. Uh, so I just and I, I would say players are the same. Players players just kind of see spring football, especially older ones, especially linemen, as just kind of like a grind. Get through it, make the most of it, um, hold your spot, maybe move up a little bit. But you're it's kind of like you're priming the pump for the summer and for the fall camp there too. And um, I, listen, that's probably unusually sour, but I, I think that's kind of a popular way to look at, uh, maybe an unpopular way, but an accurate way to look at spring football. Yeah, I think. Uh... My immediate thought there was, hey, yeah, wide receivers. Duh, definitely wide receivers. But then it's – I honestly don't care what I see from receivers in the spring because I don't think they've looked bad in the past. I'm concerned about what I'm going to see once the actual game happens because, according to Neil Brown, these receivers are all amazing during practice and don't drop the ball. And when the game starts, they do. And, um, you know, that's something that they're working on. They're going to work on and, and rep and try to figure out. But because of that, of Brown saying that they're not dropping the ball in practice, they look great in practice, I don't care what they do in spring. It's, it's not going to make a difference to me until I actually see it in the game. And then I'll be a believer. So, uh, again, I don't want to be especially dour either on that. But um, I did, actually, I'm going to circle back to basketball for a final question. And it's kind of a combo of a couple other of, of a couple questions. Um, well, l- let's read it from Macon Bacon. And, and, and I'll just, I'm going to paraphrase what he asked and what somebody else asked. But somebody else asked, what's next for WV basketball? Macon Bacon pointed out, you know, will Hugs stick with this offense? I think that's, that's where we're going here. Do you see this being kind of the scheme, the plan, the personnel? whatever you want to call it, for West Virginia basketball under Bob Huggins moving forward. Do you think we will see that next season? I hope so. Because it got them no further than normal, maybe even shorter than normal. I get that. But I just I just feel like that was a terrible draw for them. I'm looking at the seedings, Chris. I think they did a terrible job with the seeding. <laughs> like, most, most upsets ever is what yeah. – which I don't know. Is it a weird year? And this is just a weird ending. Sure, but like I'm like Wisconsin's on an eight. 
Loyola's on an eight. Syracuse is an eleven. Like these are these are strange. I just I don't know. So I, I think that they got in a bad spot. But I think that if you put them against San Diego State or anybody that didn't play that two three, they got a better chance. The two three is just it just it just wasn't good for them. You could see that right away. I just like the way they played offense. Like you have to score. I think it's I think it's easier to find guards and to find guys who can shoot threes. And West Virginia's recent history does not support that. I get it. Um, especially when it comes from like the, the, the grassroots, the organic high school recruiting, they've had to do, they've had to rely on junior college more. Um, but like, I just think that they can find guys who can shoot and score and get off the bounce and, and have more of them on the floor than they can find, you know, where, where are you find another Culver or Shibwe in, in the peach jam, right? You, you don't see a lot of back to the basket guys anymore. Now what's going to probably infuriate people is when they sign like a six ten. 250 pound guy and they played two bigs right uh i just don't see that happening though i think that he he kind of looked at things and was like huh this works i like it they they played different they played better and it's the one time that i just think that the offense has changed and and it's worked a little bit now listen the other thing is too and we can talk about this are they going to have sherman back are they going to have osaboyan back those are two guys that you have to have or at least you have to have parallel talents to play this way you just do. Like, again, is Osa Boyan a great offensive player? No. Is he better for what they're going to do offensively? We've talked about this. He might be better playing equal amount of minutes or more minutes than Culver if you're going to play this way. Culver certainly has to play more like Osa Boyan than Culver to to make this work. Um, so I think that's I think if they get those guys back, I'm not sure they're both back. If you don't have them back, what do you do? Are you going to get a freshman and a, and a junior college transfer to do that? You can't. So you might have to think about doing differently. So if they have their pick, Absolutely, they run it back, or they run it back pretty close to similar, and they play this way again. But if if Culver goes out and Osaboyan doesn't come back, and Sherman decides he wants to go to Europe or the G League, you're kind of starting from scratch again. So it's, it's hard to answer. But I think if they had what they wanted, they would move forward like this. Yeah. So I think I think you're right there. The, the offense is going to stay same. I think they'll try to stick with that four out offense. And I know, you know, there seems to be this this sense that that Hugs just doesn't like offense or wants to go two bigs all the time and yeah the the, the two big thing is going to be a sticking point um some some good points by people made uh with my story the other day and in the questions about how hey there were a lot of people reporters dogging him constantly of why the two bigs are you sure you're going to do this and uh <laughs> didn't he tell you one time he was going to do three bigs uh Kanate. Three, yeah Kanate go with three, six, 11 big men and, and run it out there. And then it was insistent that that was how it's going to work. But his offense has changed over the years. It, it has been very different. I, I went back and I looked dating back to the mid nineties was as far back as I could get information. And this was when he was at Cincinnati still. Um, his, his offense's pace of play has ranked everywhere from 10th in the country to 208th. Their three-point attempts has ranked have ranked from 18th to 278th. So he's willing to adjust his offensive style based off of the pieces he has. I think where some adjustments might be made is that it is because of the defense. I mean, he is a defensive-minded coach. Defense trumps all. And yeah, hey, it'd be awesome if you had a guy that could play defense like Gabe and shoot like McNeil. But guess what? They ain't a lot of those guys. So you have to figure it out. And he would, I, I think it's fair to say, value the defensive side of that 
more so than the offensive side of that. I'm not sure that's going to change. I don't think he had a choice this year. I mean, he had to make this adjustment in season with a game in like three days when Oscar left, and he had to make that adjustment. So I think he had no choice but to sacrifice defense to get that offense going. And with a full off season, I think it's going to become clear to the, to the guys on the team, if you do not pick up your offense or your defense, you won't be on the court as much to show off your offense. I think um, it, it's going to be a harder push. I think you'd love to, to stick with that four out. But uh, if, if the defense is going to be as bad as it has been at times this year, you might see some minutes slip for some guys that, that, that just aren't playing defense. I think people want to know this, but uh, Taz and Osaboyan, what do you think? Because here, here's another thing, too, that's gone crazy. Sherman posted uh, on one of his social media that had a great time, lived my dream, uh, and it was the best thing ever to go out with my team. Taz, out. And then, like, parentheses. Maybe. That was used on a website, except the word maybe was edited out of the photo. Do I have this right? And I don't know. I, there was definitely no maybe in the in the screenshot that was circulating right. all around. And there's definitely a maybe in his social media. And that has not gone over well. <laughs> um, because what do you think people are saying? Like, oh, man, why stick around another year? And the kid's like, I haven't made up my mind yet. Like, from what I understand, he doesn't know what he's going to do yet. Um, neither he nor Osaboyan walked on senior night. Um, and they, they seem to be maybe they're leaning more or the other. Who knows? But um, I... I don't know about Taz. I just don't know. Um, the way he's talked is is you, you could certainly read into it that it's time to go. And maybe he can get into a G League team. Maybe he can make some money in Europe and come back. Who knows? And then we talked about this. Gabe, Gabe's, his job is not fun. Does he want to sign up for another year of that? I don't know. Um, I, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's 100% they're both back. And if we're frank, situations like this where you have the, the cloud over things right now, I think that's a factor. I'm not saying that, that that pushes him away, but like if he's saying a lot of the fans are, are you know wishing death threats upon him or his family, I think that's that's something that makes you sit back and think. And like I've I've talked to players about this before who are coming back from injury, who have a chance to go pro or just to come back for another year or or maybe transfer, and and they said like I just the fans sometimes, you know I just don't know if it's worth it. I don't know if I want to do that. And, and now I don't believe that, Mike. I've never heard that, Mike. I've never seen you write that story, Mike. It's the point. They don't go public with that stuff. Why? Because the reaction sometimes. You know, the, there's a toxicity and there's a there's a response that they don't want to have to deal with there too. I just think that this is not good timing for this to happen too. And I think I think we're silly if we think that that's not that's not a thought in someone's mind about that too. And that's why whatever happens now, the response from the players, the school, or law enforcement, ever, it, it's going to give this story breath, but it's also going to give this story shape and direction too. I, you're not going to get much disagreement from me here. I, I think both of them are most likely coming back, but things are complicated. Um, like you said, with, with the death threat thing, with, with Sherman, with some other quote unquote outlet, um, altering his Instagram message to try to make it seem like he's leaving, which is I can't even, I don't, you don't even want my thoughts on that. Kind of, uh, it's kind of what the presentation was, right? Yeah. And then, uh, and then Gabe, you're right. Like, do you want to come back and just be a, a defensive stalwart for, for this team, but, and do nothing but defense. But again, is he going to like 
go overseas and, and be an offensive superstar in like Lithuania or something. Like, I think he's going to play defense everywhere. So um, that that's got to be in his mind as well. And, and I don't know if, if they both come back, I, I don't see, you know, major pieces leaving this program and could, you know, this is like a top 15 team next year, maybe top 10 probably. So it's, it's, I'm sure Huggins is hoping they come back. I'm sure, you know, hey, that, that, that exit meeting we were talking about, uh, it, those might've happened the minute the season ended with, with Huggins pleading for them to come back for another year. But um, I don't know. It, it, those are two big decisions that could really swing things for West Virginia next season. I would have said three weeks ago that if there was a team that could get every, all 12 on the same page and come back, it would be this group. Yeah. Uh, I'm not as confident about that now. Um, but I, I I would not be surprised if there was something that says we're back one more time, you know, last call. I, I that I could see that happening, but I just I think they're going to add a 13 person. I think they'll hit the portal and they're going to try to find somebody who can do something different around the rim, whether it's pass or block or score on the perimeter, but be an inside guy. I just think that that's the the next thing here because I just don't think you can I think you can count on NJ yet, which is not a, a slight against him. I just don't think you could pencil him in. Cottrell for a whole lot like I think people I think people are overlooking the severity of that injury and how you need to come back from the comeback like it, it takes time it's a torn Achilles um, yeah. for a big guy so that's hard to do and just I think that's what they'll do but um, we'll see there's there's like six guys who got to make up their mind that's half of your scholarship roster right now and I'm not saying all six are gone but I'm not saying all six are back either there's going to be ripples here so it's going to take time for them to sort it out yeah I think we had a we had a question in the mailbag uh was it like a few weeks ago, I was over under one and a half people leaving, and I think we both picked the under. Um, and then we got a question in the mailbag this time that was over under four and a half people leaving. Uh, and my answer was, it's going to be in written form, but might as well, since we're having this conversation, was I'm altering my earlier answer, and I think it's very possible that it could be above the one and a half, but I just don't see it going above the four and a half. I think that's still the extreme. If it's four and a half, there's going to be a story written about this, about what the heck happened at the end of the season. Yeah. Because something would have had to have happened. I don't, I don't right. see that, though. Yeah. Same. Same, same, same. I foresee the finish line, Chris, when we have the written version out here. Yep. We'll have that out. Uh, what podcast is going up moments after we finish talking here, and then I'll have the VIP mailbag up later this afternoon, written for him this afternoon. We got a couple stories already up, and then uh, – Again, I guess we're waiting to see what's going to go on with spring football and what we're going to get. And it's supposedly starting in about 24 hours, so hopefully we get an answer. We already have the answer. <laughs> um, oh, and I want to thank you for giving me the rest of the week off, too. I didn't, we, didn't, we didn't talk about this, but I was just going to like surprise everybody by on the air <laughs> that you actually gave me the rest of the week off, too. So thanks. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now I'm going to get out of here before we can counter. Um, uh, until next time, I am Mike Kazaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. Talk to you later.